Welcome to the Church in the Graveyard podcast. On one hand, the book of Jonah is a roller coaster ride with giant fish and famous cities. On the other hand, beneath the surface, Jonah reminds us of the surprising grace of God in the face of judgment. Jonah draws our eyes to Jesus. For more information and audio content, please visit us at neac.com.au. If you turn to Jonah 4 on page 917 of the Pew Bibles, um, and read along, please. Jonah 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprung up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Hi, I'm Hannah. And the next reading isn't isn't from 2 Peter. It's actually from um, Luke. So it's on page 1020. And we're going to be reading from Luke 6, starting at verse 17 and going through to verse 36. Um... So, yeah, it's on page 1020, Luke chapter 6, from verse 17. So this is just after the twelve apostles were chosen. So he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. 
Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. But I tell you, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be, you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Well, good day, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Ben Staunton. I'm one of the volunteer student ministers here. Uh, and we're going to be having a little bit of a look at the last chapter of Jonah. So if you'd like to keep your Bibles open uh, on page 917, it'd be great if you could test what I say against what God says. And then also you'll find in your news sheets there will have been a little outline, <coughs> excuse me, which is if you want to be able to take notes, use that. Or if you want to be able to see how much longer I'm preaching for, you can also use that as well. Um, well, I don't know about you guys, but I think... When I first read that chapter of Jonah, what, what I think about is, is how whiny Jonah sounds. Now, what do you guys, as you read that, you think he sounds, I think he sounds unreasonable and he's mad enough to die. And I'm like, he's just throwing a big tantrum. You know, you can imagine him, one of those kids lying on the floor at Coles while stomping his feet. I'm mad enough to die, God, because of what's going on to him. And so it's easy to go, Jonah's just ridiculous. But actually, I think as we dig deeper tonight, what we're going to see is that we actually have a lot more in common with Jonah, uh, and that maybe in his irrationality, we actually can act quite often in that way as well. So firstly, we've had three chapters of Jonah, and really what we've seen is we've seen that there's a God who saves. Uh, In chapter 1, Jonah bolts the opposite direction from uh, what God tells him to do. And uh, he goes on the boat and then gets chucked in and a a fish swallows him up. And then at the end of that chapter, we see that the sailors actually recognize who God is and they offer sacrifices to him. In chapter 2, we see that Jonah has this amazing prayer, praising God for saving him uh, from from the water and, and talking about what a God, great God he is, and we see that the, the, the whale spits him out onto the, onto the beach. So, so he's, he's saved as well. And then three, last week we saw this great story about this huge city who Jonah goes to preach to. Actually, the whole city repents, and God relents from the destruction that he had decided to, to, that he had um, promised to bring on them because of their sin. 
We see this great God who saves and saves and saves. And now we have this great last chapter, which sort of looks at the response to that, the response to that God. So if we have a look at chapter 4 there, we've just seen that the cities repented and God's relented from, from bringing the destruction. And then we have verse 1, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Well, why is he getting angry? So he prays to God to tell God exactly why he's angry. O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So it's interesting, we see here why he ran away at the start. I think as you start reading, the reader would just be going, oh, he was probably just scared of the Ninevites because they were this big full-on um, nation. But actually, he knew what God was like at the start, and so he didn't want to go to the Ninevites. Because what's God like? He goes through and he says, God's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, it's interesting, um, Jonah is pretty much directly quoting Exodus 34, 6 and 7. So what happens in Exodus 30, 33, 34 is Moses is there. Moses wants to see God and see God's glory. And so then God's like, okay, but you can't really handle it, so I'm going to hide you I'm going to cleft the rock for you. And then uh, he passes by Moses, and what he says is, and this is 34, verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. So Jonah knows what God's like. And actually Jonah's really quite clever. Uh, and actually he actually sees what God's like even more because he actually realises that God, he's talking to Moses there in particular about the Israelites, about God's people. But Jonah actually knows that it applies, that God's mercy can apply not just to the Jews but even to this other bunch of people over there. Jonah knows what God's like. I reckon he's got a real insight um, into what God is like. And so he knows that what, what could happen. And so notice he says it almost exactly the same, except he just changes the little bit at the end. Instead of saying, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, he changes it to, and relenting from disaster, or relenting from sending calamity. So he knows what God's like. So why does he get angry at God being like that? Well, once again, you go, well, he's just an idiot for thinking that. God's just done this good stuff with the whale and him. Why would he do that? But what we need to do is we need to step into Jonah's world and have a bit of a think about that. We talked about it briefly the last few weeks, but Assyria, of which Nineveh was the capital, was like this huge empire that was just spreading out, taking over nation after nation after nation. So it's sort of a, a massive expansion in the midst of this. This is what Jonah's seen, that they take over Babylon, Chaldea, Persia, Elam, Media, Israel, Judah, Aramea, Phoenicia, Palestine, keeps going into Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, down to Egypt, pushing the people out of Egypt into the biggest empire that they had known in that time. It's these people, and they weren't known for being really nice people as they took over people. In order to take over other nations, you had to be ruthless. 
You had to put people into slavery. You had to kill the ruling classes. You had to be ruthless in battle. And that's what the Ninevites, that's what they were good at. And so Nineveh was the capital of that. So all these benefits of this ruthlessness and this dominating the nations around them flows into the capital. And that's where the people live great lives because of the riches of the people that they've conquered. When you start to think like that, Jonah's this guy, his nation's been taken over or is in the process of being taken over. Maybe it's kind of understandable that he would get mad at God showing mercy there. God's grace is a little bit infuriating there. Now, I try and think about a modern day example, and I'm not sure that we really have one, but I think uh, a a relatively modern day one. As I remember, um, I used to visit some old people at, at a home and stuff, I remember talking to one of them about World War II and I remember her just saying, I can never forgive them for what they've done. And she's talking about um, the Japanese and the Germans because she'd lost two of her brothers in that war. I can never forgive them. You know, imagine telling her or being in that situation and saying, we're going to forgive them. We're going to let them off. I think that's pretty angry, uh, angryable. That's pretty uh, devastating and can make you quite angry. So we see that Jonah gets angry. And then really it sort of tips over, it bubbles over into this irrational anger. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I can get angry. And a few times I can remember getting quite irrational in my anger. You know when you get so mad at something that you say stuff you don't really mean, but it seems to capture how angry you are? I'm mad enough to die. Do you realize, God, how mad I am? You saved me, but I don't want to live now. You're rescuing my enemies when you should be destroying them. It actually starts to make a little bit more sense. And then I think, too, when you think about in that situation, you're like, well, Jonah, God's just saved you from a whale, with a whale, from a whale as well. What's the deal? But once again, I think you see small glimpses of what it's like when you're just completely blind to the, the whole concept of, of, of equality or what's just happened to me is actually fair for you. Now, this is a small example and pales in comparison a bit, but uh, anyone who has follows a sporting team, it's a love and hate watching sport. If I go for the Swannies in the Aussie rules, so they're going all right, I go for the Tigers in the league, that's not as good. Um, but, you know, you sit there with whoever's playing, uh, with whoever's going for the opposition, say, with Collingwood last night, and the umpire is always on the other team's side. I'm like, come on, I just want you to be consistent. And it's, the ref can't ever th- do anything right. So the Swans players are always like, you're completely on the Collingwood side. And you have the Collingwood supporter and they're going, the ref is on your side, make a call ref. You see, they're going, they're looking at it with such a bias that they don't even realise if they've been let off three good calls already. It's always the other team that's getting the better deal. And I think Jonah's kind of like that. He's, he's forgetting what God's done for him because he hates the other guys. Because he's seen how bad they are. So yes, he's just worked miraculously to save him and give him a second chance. But he doesn't want that for the Ninevites because they're the real bad guys. 
mad enough to die is because he's filthy, filthily irrational in his anger. And look at what God does. God replies. God's kind of like the chilled guy, I reckon. And he's like, Jonah, have you any right to be angry? Just, just ask the simple question. Have you got a right to be angry about this? And what does Jonah do? How does he respond? He ignores God. He doesn't have an answer. So he stomps off up the mountain. And I think it's there, you see his irrationality is just getting worse, that he won't even engage now. He prayed to God. He wanted to tell God about it, but he doesn't want to listen to God's answer. Because God answers with a question, and he doesn't want to answer that question. And I think it leaves it hanging there, so as the reader reads it, they're challenged with that as well. The Jews would have been angry reading this, going, Ninevites, the Nineveh's getting spared after what they've done to us? So you get up to that point, and I think as the reader, as a Jewish reader, you'd be kind of going, well, he sort of does have a right to be angry. Well, there's at least some mixed emotions there. So Jonah stomps off up the mountain. He goes up, he sits down in a place on the east of the city. Now he makes himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. So I don't know if he's thinking he's going to somehow emotionally manipulate God and it's still doing it, or if he just wants to see that hopefully he's wrong about God relenting. So he goes up there and he gets comfortable and gets, he builds himself a little bit of a shelter. And he's really hot though. And so then what does God do in verse 6? He provides a vine. He makes it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. So it's hot and windy. You can understand if he's already mad, he's just fuming about stuff already. He's like, I just want to see Nineveh destroyed right now. And then God makes this vine grow. And it's like, oh, actually, that's really nice. It's nice to have a little bit of relief from this hot wind. But the next day at dawn, God provided a worm which chewed the vine and then it withered. And then God provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. I mean, I don't know what you guys, I don't cope that well with sunstroke either. And it always makes the world seem a little bit worse. And Jonah was already mad about what was going on. And now he's like, oh, isn't God good providing this great little shade for me? And then the next day he takes it away. He's like, that's it. I'm mad enough to die again. But actually, you see, he's, he's just mad. Like, once again, when I'm angry, it doesn't take much to trigger it. You know when you're having a bad day already and then you stub your toe? And then all of a sudden... The chair is the worst thing in the world. I can't believe that chair jumped out and got my foot like that. But, you know, it's, just, it's the straw that re-breaks the camel's back, and Jonah is mad. But uh, God responds again with another question, and he actually deals with that. But I think as an aside, it's helpful for us to be reminded about how we can be like that. Uh, I think we all love it when God gives us good stuff and blesses us in so many different ways. And hopefully we can recognize that he does it in abundance of ways. And then how mad can we get when he takes away those things? Like I deserve them. I remember I had a car. Well, I've still got a car. I had a different car. And um, I let my then-girlfriend drive. We were driving back from Sydney. I let my then-girlfriend drive it. Um, 
just the 45 minutes, the last 45 minutes of the trip, I was like, I'm really tired, I need to sleep. Went to sleep, we're driving between Walker and Armadale, 45 minutes drives. She, I, I find out afterwards, I just wake up to us veering off the road and collecting two of the signs that are pointing the other direction. And then she swerves back on the road, pulls up in the middle of the road, pulls on the handbrake. I'm really sorry. I'm like, it's okay, let's just get off the road first. So anyway, she's been trying to be nice and then switched, switched the sound down and just, anyway. Um, I was like, what? It's my car. Anyway, I was like, calm, calm, shake it out. It was all right. Um, I didn't do too badly that time. I got it fixed, um, and then we had to go away for a, a youth camp. Uh, it was with Young Life I used to work for, uh, and so we had to, I had to drive a bus. I had the bus license, and so I was like, we can take my car. That's fine. You can see where this is going, can't you? That's uh, fine. We drove down to um, Nowra from Armadale, epic drive. Drive back, and I'm in front, and we pull off in Walker again. Hmm, Walker. We pull off in Walker again to, for a toilet stop, and the car's somewhere behind us. And I'm like, oh, that's so weird that they haven't... I thought they were going to come in, pull in, follow us in. And I'm, I'm, and I'm like, oh, I guess I kept going ahead. And so then I'm coming back in to the road that runs through, and I see this car coming in with one headlight. And I'm like, I think that's my car. <laughs> yep, that's my car. And so we pull over and it hit this massive kangaroo, smashed it even worse than the first time. So I checked it in. Um, I rang her. I was like, that's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Um, my mate, he was a mess. He's like, because I, I jokingly, seriously, said, don't crash my car, I just got it back. Um, and he did. And then I dr- checked it in. I rang up and booked it in. And then five minutes later, they rang me back. And they're like, we just want to check that it's the right number plate because... We just fixed that car and sent it back. I was like, yes, yes. Anyway, um, I was nice and calm in front of my friends, but on the inside I'm going, what's the deal? I let this car go on this trip for a Christian thing and then I crash into a kangaroo and it's out of action again and it's going to cost me $1,500, God, seriously. A little bit like Jonah and the vine. God's given me many good things, including the car. Does that mean I have a right to it? That I should be able to go... God, you owe me a safe trip home. You know, I've crashed it once. Well, someone else has crashed it once. Uh, I'm letting it go for this Christian thing, this good event. You shouldn't be wrecking it. Well, actually, I don't deserve anything I get. I don't deserve my car. I don't deserve bonus points for letting it go on a Christian thing. But actually, God gives it to me. And if, I choo- and if he chooses to take it away... I should actually be able to go, thanks for lending it to me, God. It was good while it lasted. And so once again, I think we think Jonah's irrational, but I think it shows us that actually we are irrational as well. And I think as an aside, that's what we like with God's good stuff. But anyway, so God responds though. Um, he, God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? So he's asked about being angry about the other thing, and now... He asked Jonah a second question. Um, do, you have any, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah, he's like, yes, yes, I do. Actually, God, thanks for asking. I do. I'm angry enough to die. Does Jonah have a right to be angry about it? He's obviously feeling some sort of sense of entitlement. Well, God, you gave me the vine. Seriously, I think that was like a commitment that you're going to keep it there for a while. Something like that. And so Jonah didn't answer about the Ninevites. He answers this time. 
But God says, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. It's like, snap, Jonah. Do you seriously think you have a right to be angry about that? I grew it up overnight. I took it down the other night. Which part of that gives you the right to be angry? And then we see that actually he did that whole thing really to show Jonah an important lesson. To answer that question a bit more, that God asked Jonah that, God, that Jonah refused to answer. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? First of all, deal with the many cattle as well, because that's always a bit weird. You're like, what? Um, I reckon it's in there. It's just showing that God cares about and knows what's going on with the whole of the city the whole of his creation. Remember last week we saw that actually the animals had their little signs of repentance on as well, that the people made them fast and not have food and stuff as well. So I think he's pointing out that he knows the city. He knows it well. Uh, And that's why it's the weird little many cattle as well. But you see what he's saying there to Jonah? There's 120,000 people there and they're lost. They cannot tell their right hand from their left hand. Should I not be concerned with that great city? Who caused that city to spring up? Who brought life to those people? God did. And so whether he chooses to destroy it because of its sin or show mercy because of their repentance, it's the same as the vine. What right does Jonah have to get mad about that? To think that he has the right to decide who deserves God's grace and mercy and who doesn't. And we see that's the way that Jonah, the book Jonah finishes. It finishes with that question. How does Jonah answer it? Another awkward silence. And hopefully, hopefully he did his silence there. Hopefully he was like, oh, God just owned me and made a good point. But we don't know. Maybe he sat up on that mountain mad and hot and bothered until he died. Or maybe he recognised what God had said uh, and then went, went off and back into doing his own thing. It's a cliffhanger. And I think it's a cliffhanger there for the reader to hear the question. We had the unanswered question, first of all, up in verse 4. Have you any right to be angry? And I think the reader would be going, eh, Maybe. And now God, through the book of Jonah, makes this point. Do you really have a right to be angry? Who has the right to be angry or to decide who's grace, who I'm grace, gracious and merciful to? I'm the one that brings it all together and, and creates it all and rises it up. I'm the one that take, decides when it goes away. What right do you, Jonah, or you, the reader, have to be angry about that? The, the, the reader, original readers were challenged to think about that. And I think that's our challenge as well. We're blessed to live even further along in terms of God's plan. Uh, we see in Luke, this is Luke 11, verse 30, For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, 
be to this generation, and that's that generation onwards, we see that, that Jonah went into the Ninevites and told them what was coming if they didn't repent. As Christians, we have Jesus who has come into the world, lived, died, and come back to life to tell us what will happen if we don't trust him. He offers us life. For those of us that are Christian here, we've accepted it. We, we sing it. In all of our songs, you see it. We're clinging to the cross. As Christians, what we say is, I offer God nothing. I'm not a good person. I'm not slightly better than average. I'm not one step ahead. I realize I've got nothing, and I have to rely fully on God's grace shown in Jesus' death and resurrection. And what's our response to that? We saw from the second reading this big idea, this big challenge that we love our enemies then, that we pray for those who persecute us, that our response is not uh, how we treat the people we like and get on well with, but how we treat the people that are really mean to us. What about us? Do we do that? Do we respond irrationally to God's grace? And I think we do. I think when we say that we, all we have and all we need is Jesus, that we say it's all about grace, it's all about God's compassion and love shown in giving us what we don't deserve in Christ. We respond irrationally to that when it comes to the gospel with other people. Firstly, I think there's the obvious or there's the conscious irrationality that's a bit Jonah-esque, a bit more Jonah-esque. I can think about times in my life where there are people that I don't want to pray for to be saved because I don't think they deserve it. Some of those people have hurt me. Some of them have hurt people I care a lot about. Some of them have hurt thousands of people in a different country. But I know at times I consciously go, okay, God, I'm not praying for that person. I don't want you to save them. And normally God graciously brings me back and he's like, duh, Ben. Who wants you to be saved? <laughs> I do. That's what matters. Okay. But, you know, but we do that. Well, there's people that I'm like, I'm so mad at you that I don't really want to pray for you at all. Now, we make this conscious decision that we are the ones who can decide who deserves God's grace and who doesn't. That if you're too bad, then you, don't, I'm not, then you don't deserve it. Or actually, if you're just a little bit too mean to me, then you don't deserve it. We have this obvious or this conscious irrationality when we say that we don't have anything to offer, and yet we somehow rank people. The other one, and this is the one I found even more challenging this week, is what am I passively saying about the God's grace and God's gospel? What does my actions actually say? Who do I share the gospel with? Because if I realize that all I have is Jesus, then that means everybody who doesn't have Jesus needs him. And so I think I can actually make decisions by my actions about who hears the gospel and who doesn't. So it's irrational when I say, I, don't, I think that person's life's two together. They don't need the gospel. Or 
that person's they're, they're too far gone. They don't want to hear the gospel. Or, oh, I'm just going to live out the gospel and then hope they realize it's Jesus that's changed me. And I think we all do that. I can think about people in all of those categories where I'm like, they've got the perfect life, they don't need Jesus. So I'm not going to try and convince them they need him. Or they're way too big a rat bag and they're, they're too far gone. It's kind of nice. I don't know if I shared this last sermon, but uh, there's a girl I went to school with and whenever she thinks that, she thinks of me because I became a Christian after high school and I was a rat bag. So there is hope there. But, you know, but we actually we make these decisions about who's going to be more responsive to the gospel so they're the people that we'll talk to more. When really Jonah went into the Ninevites, the worst of the worst, we're just called to go into everyone. You know, and just to be able to say, I'm a Christian. Like Reg was helpful in sharing, she's just open about it. And I think that's it. I don't think we're trying to get our two ways to live fully explained every time someone mentions church or work them through the whole Bible according to plan sort of style. But we just want to be open about being Christian and being open about the fact that it's not that I'm a nice person that I'm a Christian, but it's actually because I realised I wasn't a nice person that I became a Christian. And so actually, as we think about that and that consistent who am I sharing the gospel with, it'll show whether we're actually being irrational in our response to that or the rational response, which is actually everyone needs to hear it and everyone needs to see it. So how do we respond to God's grace? That's our challenge. If you're here and you're not a Christian, can I encourage you to check it out? Because it is a level playing field. Hopefully we are nice to you, but it's not because we're nice people by ourselves. It's because the gospel has changed our lives. So I'd encourage you to have a chat to whoever brought you or whoever you know, or to one of the ministers or whoever, and actually say, I want to check out what this whole deal with grace is. For the rest of us, how are we responding to God's grace? I think we get pretty good at responding to it personally. We still have our moments. But, you know, I know, that I'm, I know that I'm saved because of what Jesus has done. I know that there's nothing I can do that's too far gone for him. So personally I'm going, okay, but how am I doing with it outwardly? Am I refusing to pray for people or people groups or leaders of nations? Because... God would say, what right do you have to choose that? And am I doing it where I work or study or play sport by only trying to share the gospel with one person, the person who looks most responsive, where I'm actually saying that I'm the one who can decide who will respond to the gospel properly? So let's keep trying to actually be rational about it, rational about that if the grace is good enough for us, and sufficient for us, it actually forces us to realise that everyone else is in the same boat. No better or worse. Let's pray to finish up. Father God, thank you for the book of Jonah. Thank you that through it we just see how faithful you are constantly. Thank you that through it we see that you want to save people, both Jonah and the sailors and the Ninevites, Lord. Thank you that in this last chapter we can be challenged by how angry Jonah got 
uh, to think through how we respond to your gospel, to your grace and mercy. Father, please help us not to be irrational about it and to think that we're somehow better or more deserving of it or that there are other people out there that deserve it more than others. So please help us to realise if we're being conscious, consciously doing it or being obvious about it in not praying for people or those sort of not sharing the gospel with people we don't like, help us to repent of that. And Lord, help us also to think through what we're doing passively in who we actually pray for and share the gospel with because we think of, of their responses. Father, thank you that you do use us and that you use us to share the great message that's found in you and pray that you'll continue to help uh, use each one of us in that. And Lord, we pray that that'll always be for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.